So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance. On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine. On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. Halfway through the series already. Where does the time go? Uh, hello to Elizabeth, who's been in touch to say, Ollie, I'm a big fan of the show and I always enjoy every episode. Uh, that is great because we basically just make the show that we want to hear full of stuff that we're interested in. I wasn't sure anyone enjoyed every episode, (laughs) so I'm glad to hear you're out there. Uh, Thank you. She says, in regards to your recent episode, Cabin Crew Confessions, in which you mentioned children are no longer allowed to visit the cockpit, I am here to say that under certain circumstances, they still can. Last year, my son, who was flying alone to visit his dad, was invited by the pilot to visit the cockpit. I have photographic evidence if you'd like to see it. The pilot was awesome and snapped a photo of him in the cockpit and texted it to both myself and my son's dad. Uh, That's very nice of him, Elizabeth, but I think it's probably not a good idea for you to forward it on to us just in case uh, we get him fired. I am glad to hear that that still happens sometimes so thank you um other things that happened on planes in my childhood uh, do you remember the airport based teddy bears collection i don't know if you had these i had gary gatwick harry heathrow and i believe larry luton which sounds like a porn baron um but, but they were basically identical teddy bears but each with different yellow t-shirts on which had written across them the name of their preferred airport Uh, It didn't make me any more enamoured of flying, frankly, but it it has made me rather nostalgic now, so obviously it is there somewhere deep in my psyche. Uh, This week's show is about free diving, uh, the sport of holding your breath for ages and then going deep-sea diving like a lunatic. It features the sound of me trying to regulate my own breathing. Uh, I guarantee when we get to that bit of the interview, you will be joining me. You'll be doing kind of breath karaoke. You'll see what I mean when we get there. Uh, Before all that, though, big thanks to this week's sponsor, Echo, the app that helps you manage your meds. Now, almost half of us take repeat prescriptions, but did you realise 40% of medication isn't taken as directed, which costs the NHS hundreds of millions of pounds per year in wasted medicine and additional treatment costs. It is human, of course, to forget about boring shit, like remembering to take a pill. That's why we invented artificial intelligence, folks. So remember, just use Echo to order your repeat prescriptions from your phone, notify you when you're running low, and then reorder it all at the click of a button. If you are one of those forgetful people, Echo will even remind you when to take your meds and it's completely free Uh, so if you like tech 
and you take a repeat prescription, uh, check out echo.co.uk. And thanks again to them. Uh, Right, in this week's show, you will learn what my mid-interview oxygen saturation levels are. You'll learn why the megabus to Preston could form part of a formative sexual experience. And you'll learn why hair conditioner is a perfect lubricant when you're in a Welsh quarry. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. Freediving is the only sport where you are one breath from potential death. Time to go deep with one of Britain's top freediving instructors. <laughs> and we're myth-busting about hymen-busting with Alex Fox. But first, it's the zeitgeist, all the trends you need to know about for the week ahead, with the man, yes, the man, what, is he here, really, the man, yes, the man who invented carrot tea, it's Ollie Pitt. Hi, Ollie. How did it go, your trial of carrot tea? Okay, so I've got good and bad news. I didn't give it to any customers, because wasn't really allowed to however and was that for health and safety reasons yeah yeah kind of basically endangering the public by giving them a combination of earl grey stewed carrot juice and worcester sauce yeah and also trip advisor reasons because it's in like a touristy area <laughs> so i can't just that's brilliant is that what your uncle said well uh, y- yes oh, uh, they're very far, but... you get one negative review on TripAdvisor, and it lasts there for years <laughs> you have to be careful about these things so the chef there andrea yes so i made her the carrot tea yeah and i made her it and she said it was delicious. 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 Yes. Yeah. She loved it. What are the trends you've got for us this week, Ollie? Animal rights. I listened to a brilliant story on uh, the latest edition of This American Life. You know it. It's a podcast. It's very successful. I've heard of it. And the story is about a chap called David Slater, who is a British chap who photographs animals for a living. I say for a living. He was the chap who set up his cameras in a way that allowed macaque monkeys in the Salawesi region of Indonesia to take selfies. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that, that photograph of a monkey that's taken a selfie? kind of looks a bit like this. Ollie's making a face as if something sharp has just pierced him from underneath. And when he captured these images, yeah. they, they were everywhere. Literally everywhere. And one of the sites that picked it up was Wikipedia and they put it up on the, their post about these types of monkeys. And David Slater saw this, and he was like, well, hang on a minute. Did they licence it? I'm going to find out. Wikipedia turned around and said that the monkey pressed the button, right? Yeah. So the monkey owns the photo. But because animals can't own photos, it's in the public domain. It is Internet's photo. OK, yeah. Well, I mean, since the monkey's not going to sue, I suppose it doesn't really matter, does it? Well, the monkey is suing. And there is a court case happening right now. So, uh, Peter... That's not animal rights, Ollie. That's insanity. (laughs) What do you mean the monkey's suing? Well, Peter, you know Peter? Yeah, the People's Ethical Trust of Animals, is it? I'm just going to assume that you're right. People who like fluffy things, that's the charity. Exactly. They are representing the monkey in court in San Francisco. And they're basically claiming that the monkey has all copyright over these images. So, they're suing David Slater, who now is pretty much skin and hasn't got any money. He can't even afford the flight over to San Francisco to be in the court hearing. So, hold on. He started this conversation by asking Wikipedia why they hadn't paid him. Yes. And now he's being sued for not having asked the monkey. That's right. By a lawyer who's representing the monkey, even though the monkey presumably has not hired him or her. 
Yeah, exactly that. Yes, that's, right. well, that's, that's obviously exa- nonsense. Isn't that's it? exactly right. <laughs> I mean, that's just. Uh, well, I mean, why do you need to take that to a court to know that's nonsense? Peter are trying to remove the line between what defines a human and an animal in terms of rights. So they believe that an animal shouldn't be property. An animal should be able to own property. They should have the same rights as humans. And the trend, because it is the zeitgeist after rule, is that I think that we will start seeing a progression of this in the future. Very, very, very slowly. But I think people will begin to come to terms with the idea of animals having proper rights. Well, animals do have rights in that you're not allowed to abuse your pets, for example. But they're still property, aren't they? Like, my dog is They mine. are still property, that's true. Yes, okay, yeah. and that's kind okay. of... And so, so, so Peter are fighting this as a stunt yes. so that people then have a discussion about should animals be anyone's property? Yeah, but it's more than that, isn't it? Because they're taking it through the courts and they're trying to set a precedent for animals to have the same rights as us, bearded humans. What else have you got for us this week? Blow. <laughs> I, I was waiting for something a bit more exciting. All we've got is some Coca-Cola at the moment. It's, it's not quite right, actually. It's blue. It's, well, it's B-L and then O, like the weird Scandinavian O thing. Oh, yeah, with, the with, with, with the two dots. I mean, how do you, is it the, yeah, how do you the say that? I don't know. Blue, uh, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Blue, blue is a wearable air conditioning unit because, as we all know, the world is getting much warmer because we're all spewing out lots of fumes from our cars and our bums and our cows and all that kind of stuff. We are actually sitting on a roof terrace right now and it is November, so it's quite hard to argue with that. And you're just wearing a V-neck. How does it work? So it's got like a little motor inside it right uh-huh. with, a, with a little fan and it draws the air in and the air runs over this little chamber which is full of peppermint oil All right. and the peppermint oil acts as like this cooling agent it focuses on only a small part of your body so your cleavage your bum crack yeah. your lower back lower back is the one for me yeah but your body responds in a way that, that it cools down larger areas of your body so it, it has a, a, a larger cooling effect even though it's only focused on a smaller area of your body is it a Kickstarter thing? Yes. Is, oh, right. Okay, it's, it's not going to happen then, is it? February 2018. It's yeah. going to be available. All right. Well, you sink your money into that if you want to. You should. Go for it. Blue. <laughs> Why is it called that, by the way, anyway? Well, I don't know. It sounds kind of slightly techy in Silicon Valley, so maybe they're just kind yeah, of like... It, you think it's about... Like, there's already Radisson Blue, the hotel chain, which I think is spelt like that. And then there's Blue, the boy band. I mean, I could go on. There are other things called Blue. And they're all cool. <laughs> They can pay me for that, by the way. And they've already reached their pledge. In fact, they only wanted $5,000. I don't know how they could get started for $5,000, but they've, hit, they've got $44,500. Sorry, I wasn't listening to that last bit that you were saying. I was trying to remember the lyrics to uh, All Rise, but I, I can't, apparently. Uh, let us know how your challenge went from last week, Ollie, when you were challenged by Manfan Peter to um, do aerial pilates. Aerial pilates, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, well, you said exactly what it was. You didn't know what it was. No, I didn't know La- what it was. You guessed last week... Yes. That it was being stretched at height. Yeah, and I was pretty accurate. Yep. So I think I said, like, ropes. It's not ropes. Okay. It's like a silky cloth that's slightly stretchy. Uh-huh. So I went to uh, Primrose Hill, and she was from New Zealand. She's got this lovely sort of soft accent like this. She's great, You're by the so way. offensive. No, it's not offensive levels. because I, I went in there. Would as you have, you, look, from you, Nigeria, would you have done the accent? Possibly. And I went in there and I immediately felt relaxed. And she said to me, she goes, right, you're a bit early. For Stop the doing the accent. Okay, okay. Yeah. She said, you're too early for the class. So yeah. just take 10 minutes. And she let me lay down in this big piece of cloth suspended from one of the beams. What was underneath you? Because it sounds perilous. Just a mat. But you remember those mats from like school that were really thin blue ones? Yeah. The gym mats. Yeah. One of those. So how far was the drop if you fell? Uh, probably about two feet. 
Oh, okay. Yes, it's not high. Enough to bruise your coccyx immeasurably, but not enough to kill you. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. not enough to kill you. I mean, you could injure yourself. Oh, it'd be horrendous. One of the exercises, you have to lie on your back on the floor, and then you wrap your legs into the thing. This is where we get proper aerial. Yeah. Right? You you wrap each of your legs on one side of the the cloth. Did you still have control of your legs, or did she tie them up in a sort of slave dom situation? I was in full control. Okay. She said I was quite good, but I favoured my left side for some reason. And then I grabbed on, and I was like, all legs akimbo, and then you pull yourself off the floor like that. Yeah. That was good, and it's a proper workout. Do you think, then, that aerial pilates is going to be the next big thing? She wanted us to do it because she doesn't feel like enough men do it. Because it was all women in the class, and I think she's got a point. I would say to all men out there, you definitely give this a go. Don't think that it's this feminine thing that you don't want to get in a bit you know not 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 it's like pilates itself isn't it pilates itself was very very women focused i'd say for about 20 years yeah and in the last five or six years it's become something that i'd say men and women probably do an equal number now because we've all got backs Mm. although it's childbirth and pregnancy that does you know naturally skew female doesn't it (laughs) it's often a reason that people do pilates but it was really fun and it is a genuinely good workout but the best bit is the relaxation if you're in a really stressful job I'm not like properly promoting this, yeah, but yeah, it no, is no, genuinely but it's, good. If you think it's okay. Because presumably, the fact that we had to lug you to Primrose Hill has probably not really caught on yet. Maybe you should do yeah. that only in Dorchester. But I'm it, prepared to guess Dorchester does not have an aerial Pilates society at the that moment. That sounds like a challenge. <laughs> no, it's not. Your challenge for next week is written down inside this envelope. What does it say? Okay, so uh, this is from Kelly in Las Vegas. Fancy. And she says, your challenge is to attend a sci-fi convention in <laughs> full cosplay <laughs> and why not I, uh, have you ever been to a sci-fi convention no is no. there one happening in the UK anytime soon I don't know well I do Ollie there's one in Birmingham that's right da, 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 da. we're sending you to Comic Con in Birmingham where you'll dress up in, in character and hopefully embarrass yourself for our amusement thanks I've always been curious what comic cons are actually like because it's become a thing that everyone sort of knows what it is now but most people still haven't been out of all the challenges i have to admit i am a little bit excited i've seen some of the cosplays like if it was just go to a comic con yeah but I'd that's be not like, a challenge yeah, is it? that's just get a ticket for something yeah although actually we did literally challenge you to do that last season yeah <laughs> and you still haven't got a ticket for hamilton we've got you a ticket for comic con so there would be no challenge there do you like fancy dress I mean, the best, not really, the best one I've ever done is I went to a Halloween party about 10 years ago and I made myself into a robot because I didn't want people to see my face. Yeah, I basically yeah, put a box over my head. Okay, well, there's, there are options like that. Uh, yeah, but no, but what worries me about that is the cos. Yeah. If you've seen the cosplays look amazing, and if I turn up in a sort of a slightly shit outfit, all these people are going to go, What are you doing? Is there a box set that you're into at the moment that's a bit geeky? Yes. Stranger Things on Netflix. Seen it? I saw the Goonies. Don't even. Don't even. I just saw, <gasps> oh, goes Dustin. Who's which one's Dustin? Dustin is the curly hair. The cool, yeah, longish curly hair. hair wears a cap, yeah, and, a, and like it. a denim just jacket. Like no, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Goonies. That's why I'm describing it in detail. Yeah. He's the coolest one. If I can get the bike, even better. That'll be a sight. <laughs> How old's the child? Twelve. Great. And I'm not shaving my beard off. So if you're heading to uh, Comic Con in Birmingham, do look out for a man with a microphone <laughs> dressed as a twelve-year-old boy on a bike <laughs> with a beard, uh, and that'll be our man. Give him our love. And if you have a challenge for Ollie Pitt to uh, blunder his way through on a future episode, then uh, get in touch via the feedback form on our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. Stranger things have happened. Do, 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 do.
Hello, Man fans. I'm Alan Mahan, and I'm the co-founder of Social Enterprises, Brugger and Socialbyte. And these are my top three Squarespace life hacks for how to make your business or charity do gooder. My first tip is give people a mission. It's very, very easy to ask people to give to charity. Uh, it happens every single day, but it's very, very difficult to quantify what that charity means. For me, it was quite important that we give somebody a tangible number. We thought that we could bring one million people clean drinking water through the power of craft beer. For me, living up to that mission allows me to be motivated every day, my staff to be motivated every day, and for the people who drink us to check in and see if we're doing and living up to the building. My second tip is to make charity fit into people's everyday lives. And if I could turn something that I do with my friends into a charitable activity, it will make it seem more like fun than anything arduous. We also have a sandwich chain called Social Bite that allows people to give help to homeless people through hot food and suspended coffees instead of giving them money. And that's all simply by just visiting a high street sandwich shop. So the closer you get to everyone's everyday lives, the more likely they are and the more opportunities they will have to part with their cold hard cash. My final tip is show them it's working. If you can demonstrate how you're delivering on your charitable end, you're more likely to get people supporting you more and more often and with ever increasing amounts. Constantly show proof of impact to those who support you through social media, through mailing lists or through videos. So those are my life hacks. If you're interested in finding out more about my work, go to brugeter.com. Thanks to Alan for his Squarespace life hacks. Remember, you can share your own expert advice in minutes by building your blog with Squarespace, the finest web building platform known to mankind. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MAN, that's M-A-N-N, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Now, have you ever been diving? And I don't mean knees trembling, braving the middle diving board at the leisure centre diving. I mean... Deep diving, taking the plunge into the big blue. If you have, you probably had a scuba tank attached to you for obvious reasons, so that you could breathe underwater. So now, just imagine doing that deep dive in the ocean for minutes just by taking one breath and going under. Well, that is what freediving instructor Emma Farrell trains people to do. The advantage is, without the distracting sound of a scuba tank around you, freedivers can hear the ocean wildlife all around them, with no bubbles obstructing their vision coming out of the snorkel. But when Emma first decided she wanted to give it a go, there was, at the time, nowhere in the UK she could officially learn the craft. So she taught herself. I found some freedivers up north, one in North Wales, one in Cheshire and one in Manchester. And we formed like our little club. So I travelled from Manchester once a week to a pool in Chester mm-hmm. and practised. And I practised basically holding my breath, which is a discipline called static apnea, where you, you just lie on the surface of the pool holding your breath. And then I practised dynamic, which is going backwards and forwards up and down in a pool and then we moved to a quarry in North Wales called Dorothea which was and still is quite basic I mean you're not really legally allowed to go there because there are 
you know, it's there's nothing really set up. And so we drive down this to this old deserted quarry, which had no toilets, no shelter, nothing. We would have bottles filled with warm water wrapped up in towels. We would then get out and you can imagine it's sleeting with like horizontal rain. You get out of the car in the middle of an old quarry, take all your clothes off, lube with hair conditioner up and then try and squeeze into this wetsuit, which is a specialist freediving wetsuit, which is quite difficult to get into, and then get into a freezing quarry and dive down. I mean, that shows how dedicated I was and how much I wanted to do it. What could you see at the bottom of a quarry in Wales? Nothing. You couldn't see anything. So <laughs> it's there's a big difference between, I think, freediving is an internal journey much more than people realise. So you're freediving there for the internal experience, whereas you then put those skills to use when you then go into the sea or into like where I teach in Bobster Key in the south in Somerset, where they've put thousands of fish, they've sunk parts of a plane, they've sunk boats, they've sunk cars. So you can go through and like chill out and kind of explore all these things. But people who competitively free dive, they are literally diving and they can't see anything because they're diving and it becomes black because it's so deep. So for them, it's about the mental and physical challenge and the internal journey of confronting everything that is very, very deep within you that some people don't necessarily want to look at. Elaborate on that. Okay. So free diving is the only sport where you are one breath away from potential death because you are literally taking one breath and putting yourself in water where you cannot breathe underwater. So many, many people, when they start freediving, the idea of holding their breath and being in water, something very, very deep in their subconscious is going, no way, this is really, really crazy. This is really dangerous. And so when you look at competitive freedivers or you look at people who are starting to explore the limits of freediving, they are taking one breath and they are going deep. So if you're thinking about like the set tank, that's 30 meters, that's 100 foot deep. That's 100 foot of water above you and you've only got one breath. So it really means that you have to have a lot of self-control, a lot of discipline and you have to be willing and trust your body and the process. And it becomes quite a deep emotional experience. I mean, people's lives have been completely transformed by learning to free dive. Is it a good thing to do or a bad thing to do if you're a bit of a control freak? Because water is one of those places, especially deep water, where mm. people feel out of control. Um, by free diving, you're almost putting yourself in a more vulnerable position. But in the same way, there must be that feeling of empowerment of I can battle this. I mean, I am an intensely cautious person and I do like to be in control. So for me, free diving is perfect because all the variables essentially come down to me. I decide how deep I go. I decide how long I hold my breath for. And for me, one of the reasons why I don't scuba dive is that I am scared of putting my life in the hands of equipment. Because, of course, you're in control of the equipment, but you can't ever predict if that equipment goes wrong. Whereas with free diving, it's my body. And yes, of course, I have some equipment, but if I dive down and my fins fall off, 
I can just use my arms to pull myself back to the surface. And with the bubbles as well, you can be looking at something and then suddenly you have to breathe and suddenly bubbles are filling your vision. And with freediving, you don't get that. It's really silent, or rather it's not silent because you can actually hear what's going on under the water. And there are no bubbles. It's just that wonderful, peaceful stillness and that closeness with whatever's under the water with you. It sounds a bit close to meditation almost. Oh, it's totally meditation. Totally. Because the thing is, people think of freediving, oh, it's an extreme sport. They think extreme equals adrenaline, like base jumping. But freediving, you absolutely cannot do it if you are not completely relaxed. If you are excited, you can't freedive because you've got to have a really low heartbeat. You've got to be so relaxed you could fall asleep. That's the only way you can successfully freedive. You absolutely cannot think of anything else because you've got to be thinking about okay, I need to equalise what's going on inside my with my tongue and my ears. I've got to equalise my mask now. What's my finning doing? Am I orientated to the line? How deep am I going? So freediving, even though you may only do a dive for a minute, that minute can seem like forever. And because you've had to be so relaxed and control your breathing, regulate your breathing before you go, even before you do the dive, you're super chilled, super relaxed. And we've had students that we would do the breathing. They hadn't even put their head in the water and they'd go, oh my God, I've never felt so relaxed. This is just the most relaxed I've ever been. We've had people, three people now who had chronic back pain. They did a free diving course, their back pain went because they're just so relaxed. Talk me through how you teach them to breathe then. Okay, well, um, can I get a gadget to show you something? By all means. Okay, let me just go and get a gadget. So you've passed me what looks like a kind of futuristic pencil sharpener, but I'm guessing it goes on your finger. It is a pulse oximeter. Um, So put your finger in there Mm -hmm. and then press that button. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure... So just rest your hand on your leg Mm -hmm. and hopefully you are a member of the human race. It's showing some sort of heartbeat, which is Some sort of life. (laughs) And it will soon come up with your O2 saturation and your pulse Mm-hmm. So, mm, very fit. So you've Am got. I? Is that really yes, true? Yes, that's that's brilliant. So you've got your resting heart rate is sixty five. Mm-hmm. So you're super relaxed. It's really that's really good, and your oxygen saturation is at ninety eight percent. So you are ninety eight percent saturated with oxygen, and you're just sitting there. And now you probably are thinking about your breathing, but before you weren't. Mm-hmm. Your body just takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. So if you're walking. If you're sitting, if you're watching TV, if you're going to sleep, your body will be at between 97, here you're up to 99 now, just went up to 97 to 99% saturation, which means that you have, you can't really get any more oxygen into your body. And yet you're not doing anything particular. You are breathing what's known as tidal volume breathing. It's a really small amount of air in and out. So I think the big issue when you're teaching someone how to prepare for free diving, how to breathe, They think, because they've maybe seen the big blue and they've seen things on YouTube, that preparing for freediving, breathing for freediving is an active process. You have to do something. You have to do something really special. But that's the absolute opposite. Breathing for freediving is a passive process. It's about relaxation. It's about doing less rather than more. So Mm -hmm. all you need to do to prepare for a freedive is be completely relaxed. And then before you go, take one massive breath in however 
when people start becoming aware of their breathing, they start over breathing. They breathe more than they need to because they're thinking, oh, okay, oh, I'm breathing now. I must breathe in. Mm. Oh, now breathe out. Oh, now breathe in again. And it gets faster and faster and faster. And you end up over breathing. You end up hyperventilating. And what that does is it removes carbon dioxide from the blood. And this is very dangerous because carbon dioxide is your body's main trigger to breathe. So you take away your complete early warning system. It also raises the heart rate. So you're increasing the rate at which you burn oxygen. It constricts the artery supplying blood to the brains. So you can actually pass out through overbreathing. And very importantly, it makes oxygen bond more strongly to haemoglobin in your blood. So you don't have an early warning system. So you feel that the dive is easier. So you think, oh, therefore I have more oxygen. But actually you don't. You just don't have the early warning system. And not only that, but oxygen is now bonding more strongly to haemoglobin. So you can't get the oxygen when you need it. The pre-dive breath, you want to take a quick deep breath in like this. And then you want to exhale everything so you want your rib cage to go in your tummy to go in as if you are spitting out every last little bit of air and then when you do your pre-dive breath you breathe first into the belly so you push your belly out as much as possible Mm. then into your ribs then into your upper chest so it's a three-stage process okay so let's imagine that i'm in the water with you now yeah and i'm about to take that big breath yep how how can i regulate my breathing so first of all just Breathe in and out through your mouth. But what we're doing is very small amount of air deep into your belly. So if you put one hand on your chest mm-hmm. and the other hand, if you if, obviously don't do this if you're driving, put the other hand on your belly mm-hmm. and try and make sure that when you breathe in and out, the top hand doesn't move. See how that's moving? Oh, yeah, it's moving, yeah. Yeah. So it's all in your belly. It's all in your belly. So just draw the breath. Again, you're already breathing too much. Okay. So really small amount of air just into your belly. So breathe into your belly and pause and now slowly breathe out. Same amount of air, just relax, breath out and pause. Now breathe in, pause and breathe out and pause. Breathe in, pause. So you're breathing your chest and breathe out. I was trying really hard not to. (laughs) It's hard. Breathe in. And breathe out. And pause. Breathe in. Pause. Breathe out. So that is the kind of breathing you want to do as you prepare and to try and make it as slow as possible. But can you see how your tendency is to still breathe a bit too much in and get your chest to move? So it it can be useful to practice lying on your back with your knees bent and your feet flat on the floor because that's the most comfortable way to practice abdominal breathing, practice belly breathing. And now take a quick deep breath in and a full breath out. So squeeze all the air out of the lungs. Squeeze, 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 squeeze. So spitting every last little bit of air out and then breathe deep into the belly into the ribs expand the ribs the front side the back open the mouth really wide suck in the air into the top of the lungs by the collarbones and close the mouth keep the eyes closed relax the shoulders yeah i've got a lot of breath now i can feel that yeah yeah it doesn't feel painful i mean i'm talking now and i'm not even expelling 20 percent of what's in my tummy yeah i always say that free diving is 99% mental and the rest is in your head because people (laughs) people have no idea 
what mental journey they have to go on when they're freediving. Hold on one minute. Yeah. The people who have world records in it, yes. I presume, don't they, have bigger lungs than no, the rest of it? No, 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 no. Really? Annabelle Brisano is a three times world record holding freediver. But she started freediving in her 50s and she's now in her 60s. Bill Graham, he's in his 70s. He's a former US record holder in three disciplines. Right, and how many minutes can they stay under? Bill, uh, one of his records was for seven minutes and 39 seconds. Christ. And he's in his 70s. Okay, so you're saying that a man that can stay under the water for seven and a half minutes doesn't have abnormally large lungs? No. Doesn't have any physical attributes that anyone else listening to this might have? No. And it's just psychological? Well, obviously, it's a lot of training. There has to be a physical element to it. There's a psychological element to being a great boxer, but I'm never going to be able to take on Audley Harrison. I have been teaching freediving now since 2002. And I have taught lots of people that have gone on to go for world records or who have gone on to do national records. And there is, out of all of those people, there is only one who, when I first taught them, I thought, you've got something, you've got something. And that was a German freediver called Anna von Bertischer, who is an incredible freediver. But she had absolutely no fear at all. And she had no equalisation problems. And she was very competitive. But everyone else, they were no different to any other student, except that they got it into their heads that they wanted to make something with themselves in the freediving world. They wanted to compete. And so they just put the work in. What's the best experience you've had freediving? My funniest kind of freediving competitive experience was in a competition in Greece and it was full of mainly Greek men all posturing and shouting and and arguing and gesticulating and they were arguing about what the rules should be and what the competition should be and and I had originally just said I'll just help I'll do safety but I was just like I'm just so fed up with this so I entered the competition I was preparing by you know doing some yoga stretches just relaxing listening to some music and they were preparing by doing um, star jumps and they thought that you prepared by like as if you're about to do a race but you don't and I ended up coming second none of them could cope with this and in fact the guy who won was a local man from the island and he actually had a severe hypoxic fit which is like a blackout so he should have been disqualified so I actually should have won the whole competition that was a wonderful experience because it was just so funny what about the worst experiences you've had the worst experience I had was when I was doing a deep dive I was training many years ago this was about probably 13 years ago and it was a very difficult time in my life. And so this was like a, a, a holiday, a last ditch, hurrah, freediving trip with some friends. Um, I've been really ill. I had tonsillitis. I was homeless when I got back to the UK. It was all just, my life was just in the toilet. Where were you? I was in Dahab at the Blue Hole. It's basically a hole in the reef that goes down to about, I don't know, 90 metres or something. And so it's a, it's a naturally occurring naturally phenomenon. occurring phenomenon. And so lots of people freedive there. And... I thought this is my going to be my last chance for a very long time to to free dive and similarly at the at the same time one of my friends his girlfriend had given him basically an ultimatum it's free diving or me and this was his last chance to do some diving so there was this kind of vibe around and I was really ill so I did this dive and I thought well I just want to dive really deep and I dived to just over 40 meters 
And when you get down that deep, it does get darker and all the light starts to go. And because most of the coral, most of the life in the coral is up near the sunshine. So the walls of the blue hole started getting a bit grey and it just not so nice. And I think because I was in such a bad place in my life at the time, at the bottom, I had this horrible feeling of oh, well, my just my life's rubbish. What's the point? I just shouldn't even bother going back up. I should just stay here. I mean, and I it was really dark because also the deeper you go, you can get something called nitrogen narcosis, which can mess with your head. And that had really, I think that contributed to me having these feelings of just like, oh, it's just this, everything's rubbish. But another part of me was just like, what? No, get back up there. And so I turned and I just went back to the surface but I think for me psychologically you shouldn't ever free dive if you're in a bad place in your head because it can take you to a very very deep and dark place inside yourself and that's where I went when I was on that dive and, and you've been helping me sitting in front of you now on your sofa but yes. actually are there some physical limitations are there things that you know some people have that means they shouldn't go free diving um there are, whenever you do a freediving course, you have to fill out a freediving, well, a medical, a diving medical beforehand. So it's like a box. Do you have this? Do you have that? Mm-hmm. And if you have any of them, then you have to go to your GP and get them to sign you off. Mm-hmm. But once you've kind of done that, most people can freedive. But there are some physical things that affect your ability to freedive comfortably. And one of them can be a beard or stubble. What? Why? So we, the problem is that now more than ever, beards are fashionable. Tell me about it. And so we have loads of young men coming to our courses with beards and they are very attached to their beards. But what happens is it's sometimes very difficult to make a seal between the moustache and the mask. <laughs> and so there... Oh, no, no, I didn't think you were wearing a mask. So you're wearing a mask right up to the last minute, are you? No, you still wear a mask because you want to see what you're oh, doing. Oh, I see the mask that goes over your eyes. Yes. Oh, I see the seal on the bottom, right? Yes, yeah. yes. And so they're there trying to relax and all this water is kind of going into their nose and flooding their mask, which is really horrible. Mm. And so we always advise anyone before they come and do a course to either be completely clean shaven or bring a tub of Vaseline. So they can then smear Vaseline over their moustache and hopefully that will make a better seal so they won't get water in their mask. That's a good tip. Yeah. Ollie Pitt, if you're listening, tub of Vaseline next time we go swimming, please. (laughs) (laughs) Emma Farrell. And if you fancy giving one of her free diving courses a go, uh, you can register your interest now at gofreediving.co.uk. Alex Fox is up next after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, from free diving to muff diving, it's time to talk about sex with Alex Fox. Hello. Hello there, Ollie, you bounteous bumbag of brilliance. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay, thank you. What have you been up to this week? I tried a binaural dinner date. Of course you did. Binaural. 
it's a particular type of sound recording that stimulates both of your ears in different ways to give a sense of space. This was part of an immersive experimental theatre performance that happened at Theatre Royal in Stratford East. Um, <laughs> I don't know how my invite got lost in the post. <laughs> <laughs> well, what it involved was you can either go as part of a couple, so you can take a genuine date... Or you can volunteer as a singleton to be paired up with a stranger. And I did the latter. Um, so, so what happened? You put a pair of headphones on. You get sat at a little table yeah. uh, with lots of other couples within the theatre. And in front of you are a pair of headphones. That sort of They kind of thread out of the table. Uh-huh. Uh, and you're given a menu of questions to pick from, uh, which are suggested topics for conversation for your date in inverted commas also do not like uh, why not suggested questions of conversation that's just oh well, they I were find quite it so artificial obscure... and difficult well that was the thing they were quite obscure things they were things that perhaps you wouldn't immediately talk about with a stranger mm-hmm. and uh, through the medium of these suggested q and a's and audio that was played through to you through the headphones sort of commenting on how the conversation was going and and then a waiter who came around and played games yeah, it's like with a you. sports commentary on how your date was going whilst you were doing it and it itself was a prescribed set of questions in an interactive theater environment this is a nightmare the object of it was to get you to reflect on how possible it is within that short moment i mean usually when you go on a date it's only a few hours how much you really can tell about a person under those circumstances and in that microscopic time frame it was it was very thought-provoking and and genuinely fun well if you are giving a day to world this weekend make sure you're prepared for any eventuality with our friends at mycondom.com who as ever have sponsored today's listener question mycondom.com are stockists of liquid silk can you guess what liquid silk Silk might be Ollie. I think I can actually. Yeah. Okay, give it I, a bash. I, it's a lubricant. It is indeed. Yeah. Yes. But what's special about it? It's, it's a form of WD naughty. There are two particularly good things about liquid silk. The first is well, the first it, is its name. It's quite odour free. So oh, if yeah. you don't like something with a strong perfume around your nethers, mm. then, then liquid silk is a good um, a good choice. And also, it has just the right viscosity so that it's easy to spread uh, without dribbling away. It's not so slick that it'll slip off your dick. And today's question is from Alex no relation, who says, I'm in a long-distance relationship, but we are both virgins. That might be changing on our next visit, so this may be a stupid question, but Alex, do we need to get STI tested? Is there a chance we have an STI, even though we've never had sex and we don't have any symptoms? Well, Ollie, it could seem that this is a question that's virgin on the ridiculous. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm single. Jokes like that. Um, but actually, uh, yes, it is possible to have an STI if you are a virgin. But let's take this step by step because I'm very anxious. That I don't want anybody to panic. First of all, STIs or sexually transmitted infections are given that name because sex is the most common way that they're transmitted. It is not the only way that they are transmitted potentially. Okay but I mean I remember this with uh, I mean to pick the most serious example with HIV people Uh saying you know basically it's a sexually transmitted disease but there are other things like because they didn't want to panic people about that either like wiping down toilet seats did they but then they you said, can't catch hiv from a toilet seat, exactly but there are examples like sharing needles right yes so is it things like that because you know if you've shared a needle as well 
that is one way that you can potentially contract a sexually transmitted infection. What's the most surprising way you can catch an STI, Alex? <laughs> uh, so one way is uh, through things like blood transfusions or infected needles, which doesn't just have to be through drug use. It can be through something like getting a tattoo. Although if mm. you go to a reputable parlour uh, that has high hygiene standards, then that's quite unlikely these days. Uh, there are some STIs that can be passed from a mother to her child, either during birth or through breastfeeding. Um, there are also... Uh, you don't know if you had that you by, would, the, by the time you're a teenager? It depends on what it is that, that's been transmitted. The likelihood is yes. If your mother was aware that there was an issue, then you would have been tested at birth and appropriate action would have been taken. Just to reel off the other list, so we've got a full picture of what's possible here. Yeah. And this is without any sexual interaction. There are things like cramps, which you can catch by using towels, which have been used by someone who has a pubic louse infection or bed sheets or clothing. Well, that's clothing. literally a little crab crawling off someone's... A little pubic louse, not actually a crab. Yeah. It crawls off one person's genitals uh, onto uh, a piece of clothing or fabric mm. uh, and then and then crawls onto the next person's, yes. And yeah. Worryingly enough, you don't just you can't just get pubic lice in your pubic area. They can also live in things like chest hair and even eyebrows and eyelashes in That's really unfortunate circumstances. Really disgusting. There are also infections which aren't strictly classed as STIs but can be sexually transmitted, such as thrush. Uh, thrushes are caused by a yeast which is naturally present at a certain level in the body if for any reason it multiplies out of control, uh, which can happen if you take certain antibiotics or if you're run down or uh, if your genital area is, say, uh, upset by things like strongly perfumed um, shower gels. There's all sorts that can cause it. All sorts of things can upset the natural balance of the body, cause these yeasts to multiply to a greater degree than usual. That creates a problem and then that problem can be transferred to somebody else through sex. Okay, but unlikely right whilst i fully applaud alex and his partner taking responsibility for their safety and each other's safety and i think it's a really good thing to contemplate your health and to make sure that you you both know your status in terms of stis and are paying attention to that and looking after each other if they've got no symptoms and they haven't had sexual contact with people the chances of any major problems are quite low However, this is a really good opportunity to go and chat to a sexual health specialist, get some reassurance if you feel that you need it, if that's going to put your mind at rest, and anything that makes you feel more relaxed about sex, especially first-time sex or first-time sex with a new partner, that's definitely a good thing. It does strike me as somewhat unusual, though, that Alex is thinking about this. I mean, it's 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 great to be responsible and to think about every possibility. But on the other hand, when I think about when I was trying to lose my virginity uh, and and all of my male friends as well, the focus was on how am I going to perform, premature ejaculation, what am I going to smell like, when can it happen, what where can it happen. What did you smell like, Ollie? Uh, it wasn't... Lynx man, dupe. Uh, Africa, yeah. Panic. There are a million things that go through your head, but not this. Well, 
Alex doesn't tell us his age, but he does say that this has been a long-distance relationship. So I wonder whether he and his partner might have had more time and potentially, you know, a more pressured environment. It's, it's a bit of a, it is a bit of a pressure cooker, isn't it? A long-distance relationship where you're talking to each other a lot, you're getting excited about when you're going to see each other, yeah. you're planning those meetings, there's a heck of a lot of build-up. I wonder whether not to play down or discount their very responsible attitude towards potential STIs here, but I wonder whether they've stewed over it a bit more than most people because of this intense build-up of a long-distance relationship. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing all of your communication via phone and email for the most part and a bit of Skyping and whatever, there's a chance that I suppose you've you've sort of naturally gone past the point where you would have actually had sex. Yeah, so you might be over, a little bit overthinking it yeah, at this exactly, point. Yeah. But that's not me saying that this isn't important just remind yourself that because you have maybe pegged uh, a particular visit a particular date with each other as the time that you might finally lose your virginity just make sure you don't put too much of an onus on that definitely happening at that point make sure you're doing it because both of you genuinely want to rather than because you've written with a big indelible bingo marker in your diary that it's definitely going to happen on that day and also allow for the chance that it might be a bit rubbish as well i it mean probably it probably will be a bit rubbish you know, i've started enough podcasts to know that the first episode is normally subpar you know get it out of the way there's a lot of interesting debate at the moment actually about why we do talk about penis and vagina sex as the be all and end all of sex and we seem to discount any other sexual experience which can things like oral sex or or manual sex or any kind of uh sex other than penetrative can be really enjoyable or really impactful really formative in lots of ways you know I, I i do think it's important that we don't discount other forms of sex as not important and not worthy of of uh, of deep thought but i suppose the reason for that is cultural isn't it and it goes back centuries yeah. you know if not thousands of years and it's it's because it's basically because for the woman in, in a heterosexual encounter that could mean childbirth and therefore sure. a change for the rest of her life that's why there's a lot of reasons why we do place this emphasis on penetrative sex as being a bigger thing in lots of ways than other other forms of sex partly because sometimes people anticipate potential pain uh with the uh, what used to be referred to as the breaking of a woman's hymen mm. strictly we don't even call that a uh, piece of skin covering the entrance to the vagina of the hymen anymore. Is that right? No. What do uh, we call it? We, we medical professionals, yeah. uh, call it the corona. My corona. It means a sort of a, a ring or a flap of skin that does have a hole in it. I mean, that's, a, that's another thing that people often misunderstand. They think that the hymen is somehow, or the corona is somehow solid. It's not. It has to have a hole in it for it to allow menstrual fluid to pass through. This is a long-winded way of me saying that one of the reasons that we used to place a a big emphasis on first-time penetrative sex was a fear of pain or of blood. We now know that that doesn't happen for everybody, so that aspect of virginity loss can be experienced very differently by different people. It's also a, a societal, a cultural thing about relating to women's place within society, I think, and this idea that um, within certain religions or cultural outlooks that once a woman has had penetrative sex that she is somehow 
worth less or or owned by somebody uh, within history. You know, that that kind of uh, outlook has, has been taken in different contexts. Nowadays, I think we have, thankfully, a lot of people have a different outlook on women's ownership of their own bodies and their worthiness, uh, irrespective of the sexual choices that they make. But that doesn't mean that it's still not a big deal for a Mm. lot of people, and rightly so. But hopefully it should be a joyous big deal rather than a terrifying one. Yeah, well, I'd normally say at this point, Alex, get back in touch and let us know how it went for you, but that may not be appropriate. Do that if you feel that's comfortable. Uh, And that goes for the whole experience. And yeah, just remember that just because you've uh, stuck a pin in that date doesn't mean you have to stick your prick in anyone. Although if you do, uh, it might be useful as well to stock up at mycondom.com. Absolutely. And if you use the code FOXHOLE, F-O-X-H-O-L-E, then you get 15% off. I would recommend as well, Alex, if you've not used condoms before, if you hadn't have had cause to do so, then you might want to buy a few or grab a few freebies from your GP. Do some practice. Just have a little practice at yeah. home. Yeah, because it's the unrolling. Can be quite unromantic at that moment, can't well, it, if, if you, you don't, don't know what you're doing? Yeah. If you don't know what you're doing and there's the added pressure of someone maybe seeing your peen for the first time mm. and, you know, you're thinking about your performance and you're thinking about the fact that you've got to get the mega bus back to Preston or wherever <laughs> it is that you're heading, that's a lot of pressure. So at least if you know how to put a condom on and how it feels on mm. your penis, then that might be one thing that you can cross off the list. I mean, obviously, when, when I fumble around in my bedside table, it's highly erotic, but, you know, it takes years <laughs> of experience to to build up that kind of romantic impression. Uh, if you've got a question of sex for next week's Foxhole, what should you do with it? Head over to our website, which is modernmanwith2ends.co.uk and click on feedback. And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this week's Modern Man, but I do just have time to anoint a new ambassador. It is David in Christchurch, New Zealand, who sent us four beers. That's £13.88. Thank you, David. Modernman.co.uk slash beer. He says, I've just finished listening to all your episodes at work whilst dealing with the drudgery that is being a banker. I wanted to thank you for getting me through some difficult days by getting it around for the team. I know you already have a ambassador for New Zealand, so could I take Christchurch. Uh, David, it is yours. I now pronounce you ambassador for Christchurch. Uh, our theme is by Django Django off their first album. Their third is out now. And if you like talking heads, David Bowie, well, what a treat we have for you this week. It's this by new band Artificial Pleasure. The song is called Wound Up Tight and it's available to download now. Remember where you heard it first. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday.
Retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance. On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine. On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts.